We're used to our blessed Lord giving us examples to follow after, people to emulate, ones that do a good thing, and he encourages us to do likewise. But today we have the odd example given to us of a man who is dishonest, uh, and the Lord praises him and sets him up as an example for us to follow after. And at first glance, it can seem rather confusing. I mean, obviously, the, the man is not in the right. He's taking someone else's money and depriving them of it and uh, being able to, to use it for his own, his own gain uh, and basically being kind of manipulative and lying. Well, should we do likewise? <laughs> Clearly, the answer is no. It's not the lying that, that is what our Lord points to in this man. Rather, it's his prudence that he's not a fool. He knows that he is about to be relieved of his, of his duties as steward, and he also knows that he likes to live at a certain standard of life. He likes to not be a beggar. He likes to not be a field hand working and, and, and shoveling in the ground. He's one who has enjoyed the, the, the status of life that he's maintained, and he doesn't exactly want to lose it. And so in order to maintain it, he goes about it in a rather creative and unique way. Rather than trying to do something extra, rather than relying upon himself, he takes his, this, uh, this dishonest wealth and he makes friends, as Jesus tells us. He takes the master's, uh, the master's IOUs and calls in everybody who's got a note to this, you know, a, a promise, a debt to him, and, and shrinks those debts uh, by various amounts so that he can have a place to stay, essentially calling them in and giving them a, a really good cut so that whenever he comes knocking on their door, at some point, he can wink, wink, right? Remember, remember my kindness towards you. Remember I helped you, right? Do you have a place to stay? Do you have some food for me? And so he makes friends with the master's wealth. He finds a way. He finds a way to be able to maintain that which he himself desires. And this is what our Lord calls us to as Christians. There's a reality that we live in a post-Christian world, that Christendom is dead. This was even trumpeted by Archbishop Sheen back in the 70s and 60s. Christendom is that, is that time where all of culture, the whole of the world, is shaped by a Christian worldview, that the morals of society don't have to, we don't have to, you know, continually fight for them because society as a whole embraces the Christian teaching, embraces the Christian morals and norms. And this is certainly not the society in which we live. Even in our Catholic bubble in Louisiana, the bubble seems to be shrinking rather quickly, as many of the things that we would hold as, as normative have been challenged or questioned in recent years. But it's not for us simply to kind of accept all these things with kind of a resignation of, well, this is just how it's going to be now. You know, we hear about the, you know, the vocation shortage. We hear the number of uh, the decreasing percentage of Catholics who attend Mass weekly, the shrinking number of Catholics who actually believe the things the Catholic Church teaches, all of these things. And you can simply kind of go, well, you know, it is what it is, and shrug and move on, right? And just kind of, kind of keep your head down and get through, right? Kind of accept it as it is. But this is not what Christ would have us do. Christ would have us be as this dishonest steward in his prudence and being able to find a way, to be able to make a way for things to happen in this world. In fact, this is the story of the church, generation after generation after generation. 
In the early church, the apostles had absolutely nothing of the infrastructure we have today. They didn't have the finances, they didn't have the buildings, they didn't have the the networks, they didn't have the internet, (laughs) they didn't have any of these things. They had persecutions, and they had people who were willing to follow Jesus Christ. That's about it. And yet, they persevered in these things, and they began to look around and they found a way. So the church didn't simply get by, it thrived, even in the midst of persecution. Christians were being killed and yet the number of Christians was continuing to increase exponentially. This is what the Lord would have of us. And again, it happens age after age. We can give a whole list of ways in which the creativity of the church has been manifest, but a few short ones came to mind. How in Ireland, they had the mass rocks. And at some point, the, 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 the mass Catholicism was outlawed in Ireland. And so they were not able to pray publicly in the church. They're not able to offer holy mass. It was against against the common law and and that one would be persecuted for doing such things. And so what did they do? They didn't simply resign themselves to things. Rather, they said, okay. And then they secretly would go off and, you know, walk onto the hillside. And they had large rocks that would set up that would be just about altar height. And they were just flat on the top. And so people would go for a nice Sunday walk, gather at the place, the priest would do the same, and their mass would be quietly offered. They couldn't sing lest it draw the attention, but in whispered prayers, holy mass was, was given, the Eucharist received, and the sacrament celebrated. And a similar thing not that far away, and not that, right about the same time, in England, the Catholic, you know, to be Catholic was uh, essentially to be able to, to know that your death was imminent, especially as a priest. And rather than the priest simply tucking tail and running to another country, they simply ran to priest rooms. These were rooms and houses that were sometimes an attic, sometimes a basement, and sometimes a room in the house that walking around the house, you didn't realize it was there, but there was a little secret door somewhere behind which was a priest, and he lived in the house, and the family kept him and was able to to care for him and minister to his physical needs as he would minister to the community's spiritual ones. This house would be one where people would be kind of, there would be a remarkable hospitality that would be present there, as lots of people would want to come and spend time with them. Little did the authorities know that they were coming to spend time to have their children baptized, their marriages blessed, to receive the sacraments of confession and confirmation, Occasionally, they would, they would, a, a group would gather together to be able to celebrate Mass in the this, in this small priest rooms. And it was all because the church found a way. I'm reminded also of Cardinal Van Tuan, uh, bishop who, uh, cardinal of the church eventually, uh, but as a bishop, he was uh, confined to solitary confinement, uh, prisoner of war, essentially, and was kept there uh, in solitary, but was able to receive visitors every so often. And he would ask them, please send me my medicine. I have to have my medicine. And his medicine came in two little vials, small pieces of bread and a little bit of wine. And each day he would offer mass, his hand being the chalice and the other hand being the paten. And he would pray the words and consecrate the Eucharist in his solitary confinement with the medicine that he needed. He found a way. This is what the Lord Jesus is inviting us to in the gospel, to be able to find a way. 
Again, our society is, is post-Christian. We are past Christendom. But it doesn't mean that there is not hope for the church. It doesn't mean that there is not uh, a fullness of life and great vibrancy in the church ahead of us. It really depends on a single thing. Are we willing to make it such? Are we willing to take what God has given to every single one of us and put it to good use in some manner? In some ways, for some that will be prayer. For some that will be finances. For some it may be priest rooms. I've been to a few houses where they've started collecting little, uh, they've, they have a home altar and they'll have, uh, they'll have a little chalice, they have a little paten, have some wine, you can make up some bread and worse comes to worse, you're ready to go. Thankfully, I guess we don't have basements here so much. Uh, they usually would turn into swimming pools, I guess, uh, with the water levels. But all of these things are ways in which we can respond. And not just for ourselves or the preservation of the church in the sense of some kind of persecution, but to recognize, even like in our first readings today, and found so many ways the poor neglected, the poor, you know, intentionally despised in so many corners. But here too, the Lord is calling us to something new, something creative, to be able to use that which we've received and to put it at the service of others. And know that if we give the Lord what has been given to us, He can do marvelous things and bring about growth that we would never anticipate otherwise. This is what our Lord offers to us today, and He calls us to this, this prudence, this willingness, no matter what the situation around us, but to trust in the Lord and with faith and with perseverance to make a way before us, to make things happen in accordance with the Holy Spirit and with the guidance of the divine will. These are the things we ask today, that the Lord would continue to draw us close to himself, that he would encourage us and sustain us, that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us would compel us and inspire us in these ways in which we can put ourselves to the use of the service of the poor and the salvation of souls, the good of the church, the continuation of the sacraments. To ask all of these things and to know that as we ask them, indeed, the Lord will give.